Toyota and BMW. W.R. Hickey Beer Distributor, the Applied Research Laboratory at Penn State University. Joel Confer Quality Pre-Owned, the Dalton Group at Morgan Stanley. Center County Recycling, Bobby Ray Hall Lexus of Lewistown, Century 21 Mertz and Associates, and by the Student Bookstore. The Penn State Football Tailgate Show on 99.5, 107.5, The Bus, and Bigfoot Country Legends, and simulcast on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. Now, here's Thomas Frank Carr and Aeneas Hawkins. It is going to be a beautiful day in Evanston, not that I know. I'm here in the uh, Seven Mountain Media Studios. It is going to be 64 degrees sunny at 9 a.m. right now, and it's going to be about 73 degrees at kickoff. That is your forecast to start the show, brought to you by Center Care and the star of the show on remote from, uh, I think, Westchester, Pennsylvania, Aeneas Hawkins, former Penn State defensive tackle. Aeneas, how are you doing today, buddy? T. Frank, it's a great day. It'd be an even better one if I got to sit next to you on this beautiful Saturday morning, but definitely excited to be here today, brother. Yeah, we are off and running this morning. I have had six cups of coffee. If you can't tell, I've been up since 5 a.m. We've been prepping this show, getting ready to tell you about Northwestern. And here's the thing, Aeneas. Uh, This conversation about... uh, Northwestern started out with, hey, this is a really sleepy atmosphere. So playing on the road at Northwestern, James Franklin has talked about this this week of you got to bring your own juice, who I think was 2019 or 2017, something about that conversation uh, a couple of years ago when the Nittany Lions had a season like this and they were going out on the road. From a player perspective, how real is that of having to get up uh, and play in front of, you know, some high schools have more fans at games than this particular one uh, coming up at noon. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I think what Franklin's quote said this week was perfect. Are you a team that's internally motivated or are you an externally motivated team? I think most teams are externally motivated as most people typically are. Uh, so, yeah, the effect of it is very real. And I think, you know, one thing we'll see about Penn State football today is whether or not they are a group that's internally motivated, a group that is so focused on their set of goals of competing for a Big Ten championship and a national championship that it doesn't matter if 11 people show up to today's game. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. So I, I definitely think the impact is very real, especially when you're dealing with young athletes. Uh, We're not going to pretend like there's not a big difference between 10,000 people and 110,000 like last week. Breakdown, and I I want to get from your perspective, it's not like Penn State has played um, a highlight reel of Ohio State's, Michigan's, Notre Dame's, Clemson's throughout the season so far. They've had a couple of opponents that either are new or Delaware. So have you seen this team? Do you have an idea if they are internally or externally motivated? What's your view of how they're going to perform today, especially early in the game when, uh, you know, the kickoff and it's not exactly as you would expect? Yeah, well, to me, when I see this team play, it seems like a group that's internally motivated. You talk to these guys at all this year, and it's apparent that the culture that Coach Franklin has always wanted to establish. Get your inside look on how the Nittany Lions. Yeah, sorry, you were saying there, Aeneas? 
Sorry, yeah, I was just saying um, that essentially, you know, what we're going to find out today is whether or not they're internally motivated. And the culture that Coach Franklin has instilled has always been one in which the group should be internally motivated. It hasn't always been that. Uh, I think they have to find a way to start fast. And to me, what better way to get the juice going internally than to establish things like the run game? Nick Singleton, a guy that we clamored about all offseason, we still have not seen a gigantic rush from. So I think today would be a great time to get that going. So what do you think of Northwestern so far? Uh, two and two on the season. They had the big comeback win against Minnesota last week. Uh, what do you see in this team from kind of a high-level perspective? We'll break down the game over the next 90 minutes. But just from that perspective of what you see from this team, uh, what stands out for um, maybe what you've seen so far, some of the things you know about Northwestern? Yeah, well, they haven't exactly played the greatest competition this year yet. Um, obviously, last week's win against Minnesota, the comeback victory uh, was, you know, kind of a testament to who they are as a as a program. Obviously, with all the turmoil they had in the offseason, the interim staff taking control, a staff that may or may not be there in two months, right? Um, but to me, when I watched that last game against Minnesota, it shows me that this is a group that's tough. Uh, they're hard-nosed, and they're not going to count themselves out yet. They understand that, especially in the Big Ten West, if they just remain competitive and stay together, they've got a shot to be competitive. Uh, I think they lack some of the the talent necessary to maybe go compete and win this game against Penn State. I don't think they've seen a team like the Nittany Lions yet. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. So I know you've never had to play through this, but how hard is it if you are going into a season and your head coach, especially one that was – I don't know, it seems to be still very respected as Pat Fitzgerald is at Northwestern. Um, how hard is that for a team to continue to stay focused and to continue to play at a high level when there is so much uncertainty and football requires this kind of structure of stability of what you need around players for them to focus and succeed? Uh, what have you seen from this team and how hard is that if you don't have a guy who is your expected leader going into a season and you have to pivot before anything even gets going? Yeah, I can't, I can't emphasize just how important it is uh, to have a head coach and a leader that you have, you know, you have 118, 19, 20-year-old men looking up to and looking to for direction is crucially important. Obviously, I was always blessed to have a good one in James Franklin, but, you know, on a different scale, I'll tell you the, the impact of even Sean Spencer leaving the Penn State Nittany Lions in 2019 and the lack of direction that we felt immediately when Coach Spence left, uh, you know, and Coach Scott obviously eventually filled in and did a really good job. But that sense of, oh, man, we don't know who to look to. We don't know who's got our back. Uh, it definitely raises some questions. And that's just a positional coach. Uh, but that was even felt throughout the team. So, you know, you lose a head coach, a guy like Pat Fitzgerald, that realistically was the heart and soul of that Northwestern program. It's a tall hurdle to overcome. I know you were a big Coach Chaos guy. Um, kind of looking forward at what Dion Barnes has done so far. We're going to get into it a little bit later in the show, but what have you seen from him so far with this defensive line through the first month of the season? The biggest thing that I, I've loved to see is that he's been able to develop guys into consistent role players. And mean Vanover with the strip sack last week, uh, Zariah Fisher has been getting involved. There's a heavy rotation on the D tackle spot. Uh, the most similar thing between Dion and Coach Spence to this point has been the depth that Dion has been able to play with. And to me, that's a testament to how he's taking young guys and getting them to that next step from just being talented kids to kids who you can trust to go execute in crucial moments of the game. 
The attention to detail, I, I think I want to compare to Coach Phil Troutwine on the offensive side of the ball. Um, what do you know of Deion Barnes and his ability to, as you just mentioned, get the most out of guys, that attention to detail and some of the nuanced coaching of maybe hands or feet or something like that? Uh, have you seen a difference in this team so far in the details that they've approached the game with uh, as opposed to in the past? 100%. Uh, I think the... You know, each D-line coach that I played for, Coach Spencer, John Scott, uh, and now Deion Barnes taking the helm, a guy that I also played with, they all bring a, a certain skill set that is better than the rest. Uh, they all have their specialty. Deion Barnes' specialty, and it was apparent even before he got the full-time position, was that he was so technique-oriented about everything, from how you aligned in your stance uh, to different ways to use hands, when to use them. I mean, everything is nuanced to the very detail. You combine that with the fact that he's a former player himself, a freshman All-American, a guy that can relate to anybody who he's uh, who he has playing for him. That to me is what sets him apart. I remember a quick story in 2019 before he was a college football coach. Uh, he came up to Penn State to visit. We went out and worked out with him. I had never met Deion Barnes, and I left and looked at PJ. I was like, "This is like one of the best defensive line coaches I've ever met in my life." I'd been around Larry Johnson, Sean Spencer, all these guys, um, and even from a young age before he was with the college program, his skill, uh, his technique as a coach was just absolutely uncomparable to anything I had dealt with before. How do you develop that? Like, just from your observation, you mentioned you've been around a lot of uh, defensive line coaches. Is there a certain thing about being able to, I assume they all know the information, but what is it about being relatable that helps teach uh, and helps transfer that information? Because it seems like the one thing that his uh, defensive linemen so far from Denai Dennis Sutton, Amin Vanover, Hakeem Beeman, everyone has talked about, he's relatable, he's almost our age, and, and that helps us to connect to him so like what are those what's the why behind that and and how has he been able to use that as an advantage yeah well they always say and a quote that i love is if you can't reach them you can't teach them it doesn't matter what knowledge you have if you aren't going to get guys to see themselves in you and be able to relate to you on a real level it doesn't matter what you tell them they may shut those ears off and not really retain that information the thing that people the thing that people love about Dion barnes aside from just his technique and what he has from a knowledge set um, is essentially the fact that, you know, when Deion Barnes talks to you, and this has been apparent since day one with him, he's speaking to you from his own experiences. And it's clear that he only has the best intentions for you, the individual. He pours into every individual on that defensive line. When some defensive line coaches take that group approach and maybe focus on one or two seniors that year, they really want to develop and help get ready for the draft. Deion Barnes will come in early. He'll stay late. He'll watch film with guys whenever they want to. I mean, I'm not sure when the man is sleeping, but on an individual level, if you want to get better, Deion Barnes is there for you. And that's what makes him special. So we appreciate everyone hanging in with us here on the Penn State Football Tailgate Show presented by Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships. We're having some technical difficulties on the, the radio side of things. So if you can't hear Aeneas and I'm setting up all these great questions and he's getting all these great answers, we apologize. But you can also hear him uh, over on the uh, Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. So if you're if you're uh, with us right now and you can hear me, you can check us out. We are live. The audio, ironically, is working on the YouTube stream perfectly today after last week where we didn't have it for three minutes. So Aeneas. Uh, appreciate you being with us from long distance as we get these things worked out. We're going to get into some of the first segment here and talk about the things that uh, you know we have for a little bit later in the, in the show. So let's just get into the game. Uh, the explosive play conversation. You mentioned Nick Singleton earlier in terms of getting those big runs. What are you seeing from the offense um, in terms of uh, those big plays? 
Yeah, well, I think they continue to improve every week up front. I think that run game is closer and closer to being as explosive as we all know it can be and has been uh, in the past. But at the same time, you know, when I look at Penn State's defense and the philosophy overall, I think that unit is so talented and they know that they have a quarterback that isn't going to turn the ball over unnecessarily that maybe the approach has changed. And explosive plays are always relevant, but they're a lot less relevant when you're not turning the ball over and when your defense is forcing three and outs and takeaways. I think they know that. Uh, I think they're playing more of a ball control game than people maybe are giving them credit for uh, and maybe saving some of those explosive plays to put them on film and those designs and concepts until later in the season when they really need them. Another thing that I find kind of interesting about this conversation is that um, this is always what happens, and I think it's specifically interesting with Penn State being a good team. They uh, score 30 points a game. They, I think it's like... 14 games or so, maybe 15 games they scored 30 points or more, but James Franklin comes out at the beginning of most press conferences and he says, you know, here's where we're good, here's where we need to get better. And the conversation in this year, he has mentioned we need to be more explosive. And then we kind of latch on to the areas of improvement because that conflict and, and you know, the 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 easy I, I, I I'm stumbling of a way to say this like the stuff that's working well and the stuff that's good okay well we we know why that works or we see that that's working so when it comes to like areas of improvement this is what people ask about of like okay so that's interesting why aren't these things happening um so the, the explosive play conversation it is they are a good offense they are doing a very good job of generating yards points and as you mentioned being a ball control offense um but at the same time, we're focusing on these negatives of, okay, so they're not super explosive yet. And it I just, it's interesting. Can you, is there a internally uh, the offense or the coaching staff or whomever, good job, but is always, it seems, how football is uh, phrased to the players. Like, we need to be perfect. We need to get better at X, Y, or Z. And yet, when you talk about that on the external side, it's like, hey, hold on, we're actually a good football team. It just seems like there's an there's yeah. there's a disconnect and there's a bit of an irony that it comes from the way that football works and the way coaches talk to players, and then it becomes kind of twisted when it gets to the outside. Is that something you've noticed, or how, how does that play internally when you've got it coming from two different directions? Yeah, it, it's interesting, and I think it's a, a really good combo because internally, like you said, the conversation, no matter how good an offense or defense is, is going to be, okay, we're doing these things well, but we got to improve here. You always want to have units that are striving uh, to grow and to develop, obviously. Uh, so, you know, I definitely think they hear the outside noise. I think that they also understand they're scoring 30 points a game, uh, which has been a team effort. The defense, the special teams also contributing, as we saw against Iowa clearly last week. Um, but to me, when we talk about how the offense actually gets more explosive it's tough to pin down just one thing the offensive line it's it's one block here it's one block there to be explosive you typically have to have all 11 executing their job and executing it at a high level uh, and doing it on a consistent basis we have seen them execute and do it at a at a good level but for them to take that step to great to elite it's going to take all 11. We're going to get to more of the show here on the uh, Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships Penn State Football Tailgate 2023 coming up. Our view of Penn State practice, uh, talking about some of the things coming up today with Northwestern, the offense, that explosive play conversation. We're going to continue that with practice highlights brought to you by Nittany Beverage. We'll be back on the Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships Tailgate 2023 coming up next. I'm Thomas Frank Carr, and these are your Penn State practice highlights from Blue White Illustrated. Check out our look at the Nittany Lions each week as they prepare for their next opponent. 
This week, they face the Northwestern Wildcats. There's been a lot made about the Penn State offensive attack and it's a lack of explosive plays, especially on the ground. Well, there's a great antidote on the schedule. The Northwestern defense. This group has allowed 187 and a half yards rushing per game and 20 plays of 10 or more yards on the ground. If there was a get right game on the schedule for the Penn State offense after facing two gritty, formidable defenses in a row, it would be this one. It could be a quick game if Penn State can get Nick Singleton and Katron Allen to the second level this week. Despite their public perception, the Penn State coaching staff is pleased with the offensive line. In the last two games, either a single lineman or a group of starters was named the team MVP on offense by James Franklin and his staff. Like the running backs, the Penn State offensive line should have an advantage on the ground in this upcoming game. The unit did force 97 plays on a tough Iowa defense last week, and they should have a much easier time against the Northwestern front seven. One of the biggest questions for the passing game this week is if starting wide receiver Trey Wallace will be back and at full strength. Franklin hinted that he was cleared and played against Iowa, but might not have been 100% in last week's game. The Nittany Lions head into the bye after Northwestern, so we'll have to find out at game time how much Wallace is really needed before the break. Finally, we'll examine the Penn State defensive backs. Franklin called Northwestern quarterback Ben Bryant the best pure passer that his team has faced this season. After facing run-first offenses from West Virginia, Illinois, and Iowa, it'll be a switch and a new test for the Nittany Lions defense. But this is also a defense that put a historic shutout on Iowa last week, and this should be another situation where they have a distinct advantage against their opponent. After last week's game, we're eager to see how this defense follows that performance. Those are your Penn State practice highlights. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. I get it. You didn't make it to today's game. You didn't plan ahead in time. Nobody's perfect. We, we totally get it. I'm T. Frank, and I'm here to help you with that for the rest of the season, though. Ticksman Gym is your source for reliable tickets to Penn State home football games. Join the most exciting atmosphere in college football with Ticksman Gym. Primetime games, noon kickoffs, big opponents, whatever you have in mind, whatever game you want to go to, they've got tickets for you. If you've been looking for a source of Penn State football tickets, a reliable one, Ticksman Gym at TixmanGym.com, formerly PSUTixman.com, has been running his ticket exchange in Wilmington, Delaware for over 25 years. Every buyer is handled with courtesy and respect, and every purchase is guaranteed. Most tickets transfer to your Ticketmaster email address. So get your tickets, 302-521-8380 or TixmanGym.com. That's 302-521-8380. Are you a company that is passionate about athletics and wants to tap into the Penn State sports community? Maybe you're a community organization in State College, Center County, Pennsylvania, or even Planet Earth. Are you interested in growing your brand and leveraging our YouTube and podcast platform? Or are you just a person that has some money to spend? If you're any of those things, or something I didn't bring up just now, consider advertising on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube show. We have a dedicated and passionate audience that is just waiting to hear from you. Through, through me, talking about your business on the show. That, that's how we do it. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, Email Michelle Delee Hamilton at Michelle at ComanPub.com. That's Michelle at ComanPub.com. We're waiting to hear from you through me talking about you. Again, that's how we do it.
learn more down the road. Um, but in, in my eyes, and just kind of what I've gathered here, it, this is too productive of a player uh, to, to pass up. And if he's ready to make a move now, uh, even if you have two running backs, because of course Keandre Barker's already committed, uh, you, yeah. you, you just can't you can't turn down these kind of a player. Uh, this this kind of is a he player. is he? Yeah. And I know that the very different runner. We can talk about that in a second. But is he a comparison in terms of what you just said of too productive to turn down London Montgomery? Is that a fair comparison of maybe not the highest got rated guy that Penn State might have on their board, yeah. but local and uh, the ties are strong? Just make it happen because we think this is a guy who can be productive. Oh, I mean, I, Ty Key, I would say, is a beyond that um, mm -hmm. as far as, like, uh, the quality of player. And that's not a shot at London. You know, London was kind of a guy who earned his offer, came a yep. little later. I mean, Ty Key had an offer uh, December 2021, you know, so right after his freshman year. I mean, we always knew he would be a top guy. It's so funny. I get it. You didn't make it to today's game. You didn't plan ahead in time. Nobody's perfect. We, we totally get it. Um, Blaze Alexander Family Dealership celebrating more than 40 years of service to the community. Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships has a vehicle to fit your budget and transportation needs. Home of the $1,000 lowest price guarantee with 19 locations throughout the state of Pennsylvania. Going to be a beautiful day in Evanston. Sunny, no clouds, 70 degrees, perfect weather for Penn State football versus Northwestern. And your game day forecast brought to you by Center Care in need of rehab after hospitalization or injury. You have a choice in your rehab provider. Set and meet your therapy goals with the Center Care Rehabilitation Team. Call 814-272-6000. Um, we are uh, experiencing some technical difficulties, so I apologize to those of you listening on the uh, 99.5 The Bus on the local uh, radio broadcast. We are live over on uh, the Blue White Illustrated YouTube stream, so if you want to hear the, the, the audio there. Um, the issue is, and I'll just be transparent with the situation, we are doing our first ever uh, call-in with Aeneas out uh, in... in uh, Eastern Pennsylvania. I believe he said he's in Westchester. Um, so we're working through some technical difficulties to get you his audio there. Uh, so for the moment, you're going to see and hear my face for the next couple of minutes until we get some of that uh, worked out. So Aeneas, I appreciate you being here. I apologize. I am not trying to ball dominate in this situation. We're just I'm just being transparent with what's going on so that people don't uh, wonder where Aeneas went. He didn't he didn't walk off. He's not asking for a, a contract extension or anything like that. Uh, we're just uh, going Going through some of these things. Some of the interesting things about the Penn State offense that we got into the explosive play conversation this week, it feels like Northwestern is an antidote. It's not because they're a bad football team. I think they're a good football team. They're a team that plays tough. They are traditional in terms of if you've seen Northwestern under Pat Fitzgerald, they're strong up the middle. They've got good defensive tackles that are going to make you fight for yardage. They've got good linebackers. Everyone knows about the big physical uh, Bryce Gallagher, Xander Mueller in the middle of this defense. 
But they have an issue so far this season in correcting some of their mistakes around those guys. Now, they've also made mistakes. Bryce Gallagher has missed 10 tackles so far this season, and I think that is a part of the conversation today about Penn State and how they play Northwestern. Um, how are they going to get those guys in situations where they, um, they have the ability to make them miss in open space? So you've got uh, guys that are traditional box players, and uh, they are um, – Aeneas, are you with us? Can you guys hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Oh, man. That's the best news I've heard all day. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. All right, so jump in here. Uh, I have filibustered here yes. for a couple of minutes. This this Northwestern defense and getting guys to play and to get into a good rhythm today to get that feel-good stack game. First off, is is that important to players, to Nick Singleton, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Theo Johnson hasn't had a big play this year? How important are those big plays for guys in, in an offense? Oh. Well, come on now. I'll tell you what, for the viewers who are watching, it's no different than any level of football anywhere. Eight-year-olds love making big plays. 16-year-olds do, and Theo Johnson does as well. So get them the ball. Get it to them in space. You already talked about how this Northwestern defense uh, has been known and seen to allow some explosive plays already uh, with how many yards a game they're averaging. So, yes, today is a great day. Get Nick Singleton the rock as many times as possible. Let him do what he does against the Northwestern defense that can be exposed and go from there. What are you seeing from Nick uh, in terms of how he's running the ball and maybe, uh, you know, his frustration maybe at not getting big plays or his it's not a big deal to him? What are you seeing from him as a football player on a, on an individual kind of personal level if you can read between the lines of body language or, or, or whatever you know about that situation? Yeah, well, you know, I think Nick's handled it at a, at a really high level for being such a young guy. Obviously, he knows what the expectations were, that were placed on him this season were, and he's placed higher expectations on himself. So, you know, there's going to be some frustration naturally as, as high of a competitor as Nick Singleton is. But what I see from from a play style perspective that I am excited about is that he is attempting to be more patient when he runs the football. Yeah. Um, he's not perfect at it yet. He's not done much of it in his career because he's such a talented kid uh, that he didn't need to run that way. And we talked about that last year. Um, so I see him now trying to be more patient and make the right reads and get to the right gap scheme and all of those things. Um, and sometimes that can be a little bit hard to hard do to do when you haven't, haven't done, done it before. before. So, so it's, it's a, a pro- process, uh, and I see him continuing to get better and better at it, and eventually it's going to pay off. Yeah, so I guess that's the uh, – how do you work through things? We're watching him work through how to be a running back kind of in real time. The last year and a half really has been that – um, this year, teams have, have played more, and the style of defenses they have played have put more guys in the box. They put more emphasis on Catron Allen and Nick Singleton. Um, how have you seen those guys deal with that, and how have you seen the offense deal with that so far through four games? Well, yeah, well, yeah, teams, teams are going to continue to stack the box. The box. Uh, you're you're going to see a lot of eight man boxes until you see Penn State football hit more deep shots, hit more over the middle shots. Uh, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren, those Penn State receivers, you got to get play action going and make them respect that you will get behind them. You'll hurt them if you want to keep stacking that box. Um, I think Nick and K. Tron are handling it like pros. Uh, offenses ebb and flow based on what defenses see on film and what adjustments they like to make. Um, and, and because, because of those, those things, things, I think Penn State, Penn State has to get explosive sooner rather than later to bring, bring some semblance of balance back to their offense. 
So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be back on the Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships Tailgate 2023. Uh, Aeneas and I are going to talk about the Penn State offense a little bit longer. I'm sorry, Aeneas. I always put the defense second. But they, they've been on the field for, I, I think, James Franklin said 87 less plays so far this season. Yeah. So they're doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, but the offense is, as, as I said during the explosive play conversation, more drama with the offense. So I want to stand uh, there a little bit longer. But one thing this week... I, I, I want to have some fun each week with Penn State football and we'll, with what we do here on the Tailgate Show and at Blue White Illustrated on our YouTube channel. So I want to thank James Franklin for making it easy this week. The only thing I have to ask you before we get into our no context comments from Penn State this week is how do you like your coffee? Right, man. Okay. Okay. Here's week in Penn State football, brought to you by Bobby Ray Hall, Lexus in Lewistown. Get ready to experience luxury like never before at Bobby. I'm a nice cream. cream. Yeah, I'm an ice cream Sunday guy, but I now I've, I've been doing this fasting. I drink it black. And just like you shake your head about the ice cream Sunday, oh, I shake no. my head about the black. I hate the black. It's like punishment. That's what that's what I got right now. James, how are you? Hey Mike, black or, or sweetener and cream? Sweetener and cream. I'm good. I'm a black coffee guy. You are. Part. You beat me yeah. to the punch. You just said I'm gonna I'm gonna steal his thunder. Always black coffee? For the most part. I drink coffee enough that I like it, but not so much that I need it. The uh, cold brew with sweet cold foam, with the cold foam on top, is uh, is really good. What What is the calories in that? It's only, it's only like 80 calories. Oh, yeah. it, as long as you don't get extra creamer or sugar with it, you don't really need it. Right, but I, like, I'm doing this fasting, so it's got to be zero calories. It skipped a generation with me. My, uh, my mom drank coffee. My daughter drinks coffee. I don't drink coffee. At all? Not at all. Never have? Nope. Impressive. Do you drink tea? Uh, if I'm not feeling well, maybe. But no, I'm not like Red a Bull? hot. I'm not like a hot beverage person. Red Bull? No, no comment on what I drink. Yeah, no, no comment on. Uh... Like you, cream and sugar, all the nonsense, all of it. It's the only way to drink it. Does this stat make sense, or maybe Mike. you could explain it? There's a there's a theme going on here. Peppermint tea. Those are certain days or certain times of the day that Coffee make Coffee first drink. thing in the morning, usually Wednesday nights I have tea. I had practice. It's a late night for me. No coffee, no tea, but I'm a big caffeine guy. So you could write this down, Celsius energy drink. It's uh, got a lot of good stuff in it, not a lot of calories. I would recommend that. I didn't write it down because I'm all over it. Okay. How has Caden Wallace graded out so far overall? How improved is he versus last year? And do you think he'll be ready to go toe-to-toe with JT Tulamoliao? Um, there's always an Ohio State or a uh, Michigan angle on some of these questions. So, Fitz, you mentioned earlier, you don't really know about that part in terms of they got to get on the field and play each other. But how have you seen Caden Wallace play so far? Yeah, I think he's been okay. Like, I think he's been better than, I mean, here, here's where we're at. Like people have watched Caden the last couple of years and they, they see what they want to see. Right. Especially with offensive line play, you see, um, you know, the, the lapses and things like that. There, there have been fewer this year. And I think he's actually done a good job. He's come along in his run blocking as well. Yeah. Um, so I think he's, I think he's a, I don't want to say a very improved player. He's definitely an improved player. Like he has done what we thought that he might based on the preseason feedback where he came in and he beat out Drew Shelton pretty decidedly um, for that right tackle spot in the spring. And then, uh, you know, sort of uh, par- parlayed that over. So I think he's, he's playing like a guy that's going to get drafted. Like it's, it'd be a late draft pick, but he's playing like a guy that's going to get drafted right now. So I, I went back specifically 
uh, to the Iowa game because Joe Evans was probably the best actual pass rushing threat that he's faced so far this year. A couple of things that I found specifically was that they, on certain downs and distances, they gave him some help where they chipped and they had running back run through the rush lane and that helped out a little bit. But as you mentioned, he's genuinely better concrete, better run blocker this year. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's also some context, some context to this as well. Drew Aller's a different quarterback. The offense has been different this year. The time to throw has been much shorter, so he's not having to block for three full seconds on a regular basis on these deep dropbacks. Uh, that's the good part. Drew Aller also likes to drift to his right, so it looks like Caden Wallace is giving up a pressure, but really you would say the quarterback is drifting into that pressure against the leverage of the tackle, making it seem like it's like, oh, okay, here we go again, Caden Wallace, but you have to have some context for the situation he's in. Um, and, and that's really, to me, I think that you, you put it all into context. He has given up four pressures so far this year, according to PFF. He's been a very good run blocker. So you've set up a better situation for him to succeed. And then the question becomes, can you do that against JT Tulamoliao? Can you keep your offense on schedule where you aren't exposing Aller to big hits because you're going third and eight and half to three, you know, a full progression, middle of the field, 15 yard deep in? You know, like, what are you doing in that game? So if they can protect him from those situations, I think he can be exactly what Fitz said is a, a draftable tackle. Um, this is another question that kind of peels off of that. Does Aller play it safe with the throws he makes, or is it a, co a concerted effort by the team to limit the playbook and tape before Ohio State? Nate, hiding the playbook for the important games. Fact hmm. or fiction on this one? Hmm. Sorta, maybe. Sorta. <laughs> I think. I I look, I nailed that one. Yeah. Now back to the Penn State Football Tailgate Show, driven by Blaze Alexander Family Dealership. Be the smartest person at your tailgate. Get the expert's view of today's game with Aeneas Hawkins as he gives you the key matchups. Brought to you by Stocker Chevrolet. For your next vehicle purchase, come to Stocker Chevrolet and save with low interest rates. And remember, only at Stocker Chevrolet will you get the Stocker Advantage with the purchase of any new vehicle. Now, my man played defensive tackle for Penn State, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't know football. This man knows football. Aeneas Hawkins, his key matchup here on the Blaze Alexander Family Dealership's Penn State Tailgate Show. Aeneas, we are highlighting the secondary today, aren't we? We are, we are talking, talking about, about that secondary. Secondary, secondary, secondary that all offseason season long, long got a bunch, bunch of credit, credit, a bunch, bunch of notoriety from both, both local, local and national, national media, media uh, for, for what, what they should be able to do in this 2023 season. season. Obviously, Obviously, we've seen, seen them find a lot of success against the likes of Iowa and, and Delaware, but this, this is the first offense that we've seen primarily survive off of that passing game. Uh, ben Bryant last or last week throwing four touchdowns and almost 400 yards in a comeback victory. Uh, uh, their, their receiver, Bryce, Bryce Kurtz, Kurtz another, another guy who found a lot of success against that Minnesota, Minnesota secondary. secondary. When, when I look at this, this matchup, the question is, is Penn State's secondary as strong as people believe it is? Obviously, Canley King. 
being a high-level corner, corner, Johnny Dixon. Dixon. They're going to be challenged with this, their, their best, best group of receivers that they've faced this season so far. Uh, and I, I want to see how they handle it. Can, can they take away Northwestern's will to throw the football around? Similarly to how they took Iowa's will to be able to run the ball away. The great defenses, the elite ones that we talk about at the end of every season are the ones that take an offense's best weapon and absolutely destroy it and make them unable to move the ball at any type of consistent level. Uh, this is going to be a fascinating matchup. You mentioned this is the first time that uh, Penn State has seen a true quarterback that can throw the football. And it, it's funny. I You start watching this game, and you're like, man, uh, Ben Bryant's a fun quarterback to watch. I don't know if he's good, uh, but he is. he's fun to watch. Um, is this important that Penn State has a... Uh, a test for the secondary. You mentioned that this is really the first time. Is it important that you uh, that you get a, a real test for this team in the secondary to see if there are any weaknesses? Because they've seen so few actual on-target football so far this year. Most definitely. Any Anytime you have an early season game like this, we're still not even at the midway point. You want everything to get stress tests on your defense before you go into the meat and potatoes of your Big Ten schedule. You're either going to get tested today or you're going to get tested in three weeks regardless, right? Uh, so figure out where those wink leaks are. Figure out what your strengths are as a secondary before you have to defend Marvin Harrison Jr. because that day is coming. What do you see from uh, the DB so far and, and with Kurtz and, and this receiver core? Can they test Penn State's defense? And because it is um, it is such a man coverage dependent unit, do you think they can have a big day? And it might not feel that way to fans who think that, um, you know, any pass after the first month of the season, any pass that's completed is a bad sign. Yeah, no, I, I think you're going to see a battle. I, I remember the Purdue game last year when you saw Charlie Jones and yeah. Jerry Porter going at each other. Uh, and sometimes watching that game, it looked like Charlie Jones was absolutely uh, dominating the matchup, right? And then Joey Porter Jr. is like a national player of the week, a bunch of passes defended. What I see from that corner room that is exciting is the way that they compete for the football when it's up in the air. And it's not just Kalen King. It's not just Johnny Dixon. Uh, a guy like Daquan Hardy has been very competitive at the point of contest. Uh, the safeties are playing well. To me, though, we got to see him against real talent. Bryce Kurtz is going to have his catches today. Manny Diaz is going to go one-on-one, run some man coverage looks, um, and he's going to get open eventually. But what I want to see is Northwestern not be able to consistently rely upon their receivers running free access routes and being open to convert the chains. Uh, this is a fun matchup uh, because you get something different, and I love that of uh, each week is something new. And with uh, with this Northwestern passing attack, when you're being when you're successful, uh, something I noticed from the Penn State defense looking at some of the stats, Cam Miller, Kalen King, despite the fact that we talk about Kalen King hasn't been targeted this year, he leads the team with 13 targets. Uh, Their top three corners on the outside are the guys that have seen the most targets so far. Is that a product of the defense funneling passes to those guys or is that a product of uh, something else that's maybe matchup dependent week to week? And is that a sign of health for the defense? Yeah, it's definitely a sign of health. 
uh, number one. You got guys all over the field that are competing for the football. Uh, but I do think that schematically there are some ways that Manny Diaz is able to funnel where you can throw that football. Uh, a lot of times what you may see is a scheme away from Kalen King with with maybe some match technique, with maybe some random double coverages thrown in there, whatever it may be, knowing that, hey, this quarterback can't throw to this side of the field, and now he's got to go try Kalen King. And as a defensive coordinator, you feel really confident when that's what an offense has to go do. It's funny, I don't think Kalen King has played his best football yet this year. Um, Penn State's defense, none of the defensive backs I mentioned have a passer rating in coverage over 70. I think Kalen King is sitting somewhere around 50. And I, I don't know that he's played exceptionally, like a complete game yet. Are you? Do you think this could be the week where... Um, we talk about the defensive ends getting their stats last week. Is this a week where finally we see the stats for Kalen King and it starts to be kind of a feel-good moment for him? Mentioning the explosive plays, everyone loves to get their stats. Everyone gets loves to be involved. Do you think this is a week where we can see kind of that explosion from this group? I definitely do. I don't see Northwestern having a passing attack in which they're taking a bunch of deep shots. They're... They're rolling out, they're dropping back for extended periods of time because I don't believe that they think that their offensive line uh, can protect against this Penn State unit up front with Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac coming on strong, and, and the entire company. Um, so I think it's a lot of short game. Uh, and when you got a lot of short game, you expect to see a lot of pass breakups and a lot of uh, contested catches and even some interceptions from that secondary group. This is always one of the situations where you, you look at uh, Manny Diaz and his impact on the game. It, it's funny. I, I watch, you know, you and I watch the film before the game uh, and we try to get an idea of what a team is going to do against Penn State. And it's never the same <laughs> because Manny Diaz's defense is so different from everybody else. So I guess are you, the the style of the passing game, you're thinking what you just said is quick game, quick passing attack, not necessarily some of the shots downfield that Northwestern took last week against Minnesota. You're thinking it's going to be quick kind of ball control through the air. Is, is that a correct characterization? That. That would be what I expect. That's what I would do if I were the OC of Northwestern's uh, Northwestern squad over there. The thing with Minnesota is that you knew was that their defensive line didn't have a whole lot of upside to get home to the quarterback. Yep. So why not run some long developing plays? Why not take some deep shots? Your quarterback's going to have four seconds to let the ball go. Uh, if Penn State's defensive line plays like that, it's going to be a long day. Uh, they've got all the talent in the world, obviously. So I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of time to be taking those deep shots you took last week. You sneaky man, you got me to talk about the Penn State defense for a whole segment Come with on, the offense. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's it's funny watching Ben Bryant and and this offense. Um, he is a good quarterback in terms of his vision and the way he sees the field. Um, it, it's funny. He does a lot of similar things to Drew Aller in terms of if you give him the coverage and he knows it, he's going to go and try and find those easy access throws. He's going to find the 15-yard out route. And here's the thing. He'll try it. He'll actually, he'll do kind of the some, the same stuff that Sean Fitz on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel has said this week of like Drew Aller throwing those out routes. That is a hard throw for most, most quarterbacks. And and uh, and Brian is the guy that will try it. The Where they diverge is... Uh, everywhere else, you know, in terms of overall talent, in terms of his ability to get the ball to the, uh, those players consistently and some of those ugly throws. Uh, when it comes to how he performs, does does this snowball early for Northwestern or do you think they can fight back and keep them on schedule to kind of maybe not keep them in the game from a points perspective, but keep them in the game from a, a morale perspective? 
Yeah, well, to me, what you said, the, the keep them on schedule is exactly what Northwestern's offense has to focus on early in the game to keep it competitive, uh, which is why I say take some of those free access throws, some short underneath routes, uh, maybe some underneath screens, running the ball to keep you on schedule to convert on hopefully what becomes third and short if you're Northwestern. What you got to stay out of to have any type of chance are those second and longs, those third and longs where Penn State's defense and Manny Diaz can pin their ears back, play man coverage and dare you to stop them because like you said Northwestern just doesn't have the horses necessary to be able to play that way I, we're gonna foreshadow the prediction segment by just leaving that hanging there from Aeneas because I think that's a that's a highly accurate statement that Aeneas has made so far we're gonna come back next on the Penn State football tailgate show powered by Blaze Alexander family dealership stay tuned we're gonna talk more about the defense the Penn State run game and uh, I know one of Aeneas's favorite players, Hakeem Beeman. That's all coming up next. You're proud of your fa- So let's get to the predictions. We have uh, score predictions for everybody uh, Everybody over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com went up this morning before the show. Fitz, let's hear what you got to say about uh, what you think is going to happen between Penn State and Northwestern on Saturday. I, I have Penn State big. Uh, I think that uh, you've got the uh, 45 to 7 is how big I've got them. I think that Penn State is in a situation now. You look at that 30 point streak and you think Penn State, you know, at least if you follow week to week or day to day, you think Penn State hasn't played, um, you know, their their A game yet. And I, I don't know that this is necessarily going to be their A game, um, but I think that they're in a position. I'm taller than you guys on this, this too. I think this is going to be a situation. Um, where they could, I don't want to say grind out 45 points. Like they, they could be off their game and still score, you know, they still scored 38 against West Virginia. I don't think anybody mistake uh, mistook them for being on their game. So uh, I, I think this is a game where, you know, you cannot play at your best and still score a ton of points just because of that Northwestern defense. So I think Penn State's going to have the opportunity to, to do some things. I think they're going to, you know, get the opportunity to, to get their reserves on the field to, I think they're going to be playing, reserves on defense from not from the start but like early in the game when penn state mm-hmm. coaches against teams that they think they are much better than like they will rotate those backup linebackers in there they will rotate safeties and corners and defensive line they'll they'll rotate all those guys through um to to keep those guys fresh and then if, you know if they get their backs against the wall a little bit they'll tighten up but i think they're gonna i think they're gonna do that on saturday i think this is the much better team and uh you know, we're gonna see what happens i mean it's it's obviously a lazy atmosphere at Ryan Field. Uh, again, w- one of the cooler atmospheres, I think, in the Big Ten. One of the more unique, I'll say that, atmospheres in the Big Ten. So you're going to have to figure out a way to, to to put that foot on the gas. But I think the big playability is there. And I think we're finally going to see it this weekend. Uh, Nate, I've got a fancy graphic, but I need you to say it out loud for me to put it for real on the internet. What okay. do you got today? I got 42 to 10, which I'll be honest, I... See, I don't know the the rules, even all this, you know, all these years later, I don't know the rules for predicting shutouts, right? It, there, There is something yeah. to, like, you're a jerk <laughs> about it uh, <laughs> that that fans can do, certainly. But as an analyst, it's like, it's, it's harder, or a, a reporter, I should say, I'm not an analyst. Uh, as a reporter covering the team, it's, it's, it's harder to predict that. Um, but yeah, I debated, I dabbled with uh with picking a shutout i I just penn state's defense is really good right if 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 north like how is northwestern going to score points because if it finds itself in second and third and long the way that virtually every team penn state has faced this season finds itself in you're just 
you're just in trouble, right? You're just in trouble. You're just not likely to. Uh, now to back to the Penn State football tailgate show, driven by Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships. We are flying through the Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships tailgate show. Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships, celebrating more than 40 years of service to the community. Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships has a vehicle to fit your budget and transportation needs. Home of the $1,000 lowest price guarantee with 19 locations throughout Pennsylvania. I'm Thomas Frank Carr, former Penn State defensive tackle Aeneas Hawkins is out uh, on location. We are talking about Penn State and Northwestern coming up at noon today. We'll get you the availability report when it comes out in just a little bit. Talking about some of the players that are there and not there for the Nittany Lions. Uh, important on a couple of different levels today, but maybe not as important as last week. Speaking of last week, uh, one of Aeneas's favorite players, uh, former teammate Hakeem Beeman. Uh, Aeneas, I thought Hakeem had his best game of the season last week. What did you think about him against uh, Iowa? I completely agree. All week we talked about the athletic defensive tackles that Penn State has needing to find a way to win against Iowa's offensive line to shut that run down and get uh, disruptive in the pass game. And we saw Hakeem Beeman do those things and do them consistently. Uh, you're right. Hakeem is one of my favorite teammates I've ever had. Uh, he came in a year behind me. So there was kind of that big brother, little brother relationship uh, until we saw him play football. Uh, that kid was special from the jump. Um, so it's great to see him find some success. You know, he's a guy who struggled to add size throughout the course of his career. And I think what people, most people don't really realize is that he played consistent snaps as a D tackle at 250, 255 pounds sometimes, which <laughs> is literally insane. If yeah. you really conceptualize who he's playing against and it kind of speaks to his athleticism and natural ability. Uh, so now that you see Hakeem Beaver walking around at 285, you know, every time I see the kids still, I, I get teary-eyed when I see him looking like a three technique a little bit. Uh, so definitely exciting to see him do some good things. I was going to say, you probably feel like a proud dad a little bit of like, man, oh, man. look at him and your, just like his abilities and everything all coming together this final season. No doubt about it. Me and PJ Mustafer often text during the football games uh, that Penn State's playing, and Hakeem Beeman made a great play, and immediately my phone lights up, and PJ Mustafer sends 17 exclamation points, I think. Um, <laughs> so definitely exciting. Feel like a proud dad for sure. Um, by the way, speaking of uh, you and your conversations with Penn State football players, uh, on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel on the stream, RS says, love T. Frank and BWI. Also want to give a shout-out to the Lions Den as well awesome perspective from the player's point of view. So uh, just a quick plug for your YouTube show. Thank you very much. I appreciate the love. Definitely check it out, man. Penn State football players on there every week. So with, uh, I actually spoke to Hakeem a little bit earlier this week after practice on Wednesday, and some of the stuff that I've seen looking at film with you, I, I just kind of generally asked him about this, and I want to get your perspective. I said, uh, most of the Penn State football players, when they talk about Manny Diaz's defense, they say it's simple, right? So it's a simple concept. It's understanding this defense. It's not a terribly difficult defense to understand. And I asked him, that doesn't mean it's easy, right? So what have you seen from what De Beeman and the rest of the defensive tackles especially are being asked to do in this scheme while simple? What's the hard part about how to execute it? 
Yeah, the hardest part of executing a Manny Diaz defense is just how many stunts and movements those guys, especially on the interior, are doing. Uh, I, I don't have the exact percentage, but if you cut the film on and just pay attention, there's so many of their plays where their D tackles are lining up in one gap and maybe they're slanting to another one or maybe they're jumping two over to get to another set of gaps. Um, you got great athletes and Hakeem Beeman and Devon Lees. They're more on the athletic side of D tackles rather than raw power and size that you see from some other groups. Um, but when you have athletic D tackles and you're moving so much, it just can be tough to fit back into those gaps, especially when you have offensive linemen ripping and running in an opposite direction. You got to kind of plug back in uh, to that gap that you're assigned to. Uh, so that's the toughest part. But at the same time, it's the same thing that allows Penn State's defense to get so much penetration and consistently TFL guys. Uh, so it's a bit feast or famine, uh, live by the sword, die by the sword, if you will. Yeah, so 6.2 tackles for loss per, per game. I'm glad you brought that up. They are tied for 49th in the NCAA. So um, where do you see the areas for growth in terms of getting those tackles for loss? Is it defensive tackles winning quick and getting into the backfield, or is it that they're setting up plays for linebackers and the linebackers need to shoot those gaps and get in the backfield? How do you see the percentage of the front seven in terms of where they can produce more heading into uh, October where there's a lot of critical matchups against Big Ten teams. Yeah, I, we can look at the entire front seven, but more specifically, I, I'll kind of go with that triangle, those 2D tackles, and either Kobe King or Tyler Elsden, uh, whoever's in the game at that mic spot, they got to continue to get better and they got to continue to play together. Uh, the last time I remember Penn State's defensive line and middle linebacker combination with P.J. Mustafer and Ellis Brooks in Wisconsin, they were the last group that really played at a consistent level. Uh, and you saw Ellis fly through on a lot of those double teams that P.J. Mustafer was taking on. Uh, so to me, it starts with those two up front. When you're not moving, let's be more physical on those double teams. Let's be more gap accountable. And then if you're Kobe King or Tyler Elsden, you know, when you see those doubles, fly downhill and make it easier on your D tackle. You guys will both end up with one on ones with good leverage. Uh, and that's how that TFL number continues to creep up. So how far off are they from playing uh, a complete game? I know last week they played a complete game, so I don't want to say like they are not a cap. They haven't yet. Obviously, last week was historical in a lot of the ways they played. So I guess how close are they to replicating that each week uh, against different teams? Yeah, they're they're right there, and we saw it when we watched their first couple games of film. Uh, there were moments. Let me, where really you had guys who would jump out of their gaps. Um, and those were the only times you saw opposing offenses that the Penn State defenses play this year have any success. Um, so to me, it's how do we get guys being even more consistent with being in their gaps, with doing their jobs at a high level. Um, and when they do that, they don't get scored on a lot because of the talent that they have. They don't have to do too much. Uh, Coach Pry used to always tell us, we don't need any heroes on this defense. Everybody do your job. And when you have a young defense like Penn State has in some spots, uh, with a guy like Kobe King getting the most reps he's ever gotten in his life, it takes some extra games and reps to get there sometimes. So I guess the, the next question is then, um, are they big enough and are they athletic enough with that size to match up with anybody, because that is that is the boogeyman in the back of everybody's mind going into uh, the next stage of this football season. And it sounds like with, with guys like Beeman playing at the height of their potential or playing up to near where we all thought they could be, um, that this team doesn't need to have 315-pound nose tackle. They don't need the P.J. Mustaford this year. 
Is that accurate? And um, what do you think about the first question? I did the media thing, Aeneas. I asked you two questions, and I'm expecting you to perfectly answer both of them simultaneously. <laughs> and, and I'm going to do my best to right here. Uh, uh, let's call a spade a spade. The yeah. team that everybody is most concerned with, uh, with Penn State having a lack of size for, is Michigan after that last season. Uh, you know, we don't need to get into the details of what they were able to do on the ground, but everybody remembers. And then Coach Franklin goes and he talks about size at D tackle. And I think there was some truth in that, but but at the same time, I have never before cut on a Penn State football game with so many guys playing out of their gaps on every single snap. You don't have to have 315-pound defensive tackles to compete in the run game. These guys that are at the D-tackle spot are high four-stars. Zane Durant's playing good football. Keziah Izzard is coming off the bench. J.J. Vandenberg has every weight room record that Penn State football has ever had. There's not a strength issue there. It's about guys being consistent and doing their jobs, uh, and they'll be able to compete at a high level. Preach. I, I love it. Uh, you know, you flip the script here, talking about the Northwestern uh, defense. That's been a big problem for them is, uh, you know, we meant I mentioned at this top of the show, and I want to get your some of your thoughts on this now that, uh, you know, we can have a conversation about it. The 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 lack of gap accountability for the Northwestern defense is uh, a problem. And if they fix that this week, I think it could be a tough game. Do you do you think that Penn State's offensive line is at the position where they can dominate and it doesn't matter? Like, is this a game where they can go up against guys that might be... Carmine Bastone, I thought was a good uh, three technique. But yep. if he's going up against J.B. Nelson, he should be thrown out of the club. Uh, so is that something you think you could see this week from? It really doesn't matter because the Penn State offensive line can dominate this group. I really hope it's something we see this week. Uh, I've seen that offensive line against Illinois. Hunter Norzad wins a player of the game. Uh, last week, the entire unit wins it. Every week, they're putting something new on film that is a, a positive step in the right direction, whether big or small. To me, you got a group that's already letting up a bunch of yards on the ground. They can't stay in their gaps. They're playing. Uh, they're not really playing great team defense at overall this is when you go take some of those runs and you take them explosive and you get that offensive line going uh jb nelson is a guy specifically that i want to challenge on the interior the, the offensive line uh obviously plugging in late for landon tangwall but a guy that the staff has a lot of great confidence in uh and another guy i'll throw out is vague i own he, he came in and played some good snaps last week yeah uh got a knockdown on his first snap so I say you run the ball inside, you let the guys like Vega play, you let them compete with a, a Sal Wormley, you let J.B. Nelson and his backup go, um, and to me, you find out who that core three is going to be that you move forward with. The the group up front has been um, polarizing this year, but I want to ask you, because this is something that we're paying attention to now, because Hunter Nor as you mentioned, Hunter Norzad, player of the week against Illinois, offensive line, player of the week against Iowa, um, James Franklin talks about it, and he is unbelievably consistent in a lot of the things he does, and one of them is his opening press conference statement uh, where he goes into the players at the game, reviews the previous game, and then previews the next opponent. And I'll be honest with you, half the media tunes out for that. I've been paying attention this year to the players at the game, and i got to ask you here specifically from a player's perspective, are, are guys like competing for that? Obviously, they want to do their job, and they want to be great. Uh, and they want to play within the, the the structure of the offense and the defense. But how much is it motivating? Is is it motivating to be the player of the week on the offense or the defense? And how is that done internally? 
Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I don't think it affects too much of the lead up to the football game. Um, obviously, you want to play at a high level every week when you get to Penn State. Um, but definitely when you've had a good game, you get on that bus on the way to the airport. When you played well, you're thinking that maybe you might go get that award. And it's always cool to see the way the team embraces the players of the week in that team meeting on Sunday. When you have an entire unit win it, uh, it's even sweeter because that shows that the entire group is playing at a high level and they had an impact on the game. Um, and to me, it tells me that whatever the staff is seeing on film, they are pleased with. Uh, the Joe Moore Award on Twitter for the block of the week, it was uh, Penn State's offensive line won for the six to, it felt like a 20-yard quarterback sneak. Were, were, were you part of the social media push for them to get that? How much How much did Aeneas Hawkins have to do with uh, Penn State winning the Joe Moorhead Pancake Block of the Week? That, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I wasn't involved with it too much. Uh, what I will take credit for, though, is that T formation that Coach Yersich likes to run, and now the whole NFL is running. Uh, they ran that at me for the first time in a practice, and obviously they kicked me right out of that B-gap, and they were like, hey, this works well. Um, and it's been good. That was my biggest contribution to Penn State football. <laughs> the birth of the T formation and the aggressive use of it, thanks to Aeneas Hawkins, uh, for being on <laughs> That's awesome. I'm you. <laughs> We're going to get back to more of this, more of uh, Aeneas's insight into Penn State football in just a moment. But we're going to hear from the fountain of information. I just talked about James Franklin's weekly press conference. It is a treasure trove of information and details. And uh, uh, Jamal has done a great job of plumbing the depths of it for the coach's corner. Press conferences are boring, right? Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. That's why we've set aside the most important stuff for you. It's Coach's Corner, powered by your Cigar Den and Monte Cristo Lounge, with free easy-in and out parking for all your tailgate needs. Check out your Cigar Den's new Casa Cuba Lounge on Colonnade Boulevard next to Wegmans. Penn State is coming off of a dominant performance during their 15th full stadium whiteout where the Nittany Lions shut out the Hawkeyes 31-0. This is Penn State's fourth shutout in three seasons. Coach Franklin, who enjoyed the performance from his players, was more impressed by the improvement he saw from the Nittany Lions. Some positives from the game. We won, 1-0, shutout. Um, but what we've been kind of preaching is we got better. I thought we got better last week. Penn State is expected to face a difficult playing environment when they travel to Ryan Field to take on Northwestern, a team that is undefeated at home. These guys are 2-0 at home. You look at Northwestern, they've typically had good home records. Why? Because it can be challenging to play there. They're used to the environment. Other people may not be. It's going to be very different than what we played in last week's. But for me to act like it's not a factor, it is. And you got you got to get prepared for it. But... At the end of the day, you know, it's going to be about us executing our jobs and our assignments and playing the game for each other and playing the game for our love, uh, for the game of football and for our teammates and, and playing up to our standard no matter the circumstances. After four games into the season, Penn State lead the NCAA in multiple categories. Uh, we are leading the nation in time of possession, in turnover margin, in total defense and in pass defense, so pretty cool. You know, we're not a big stat team, 
but I do think the stats sometimes uh, tell a story and kind of reinforce some things that you're doing right and allow you to also kind of look into some things that you need to do better. The most important category that Penn State lead college football in is that they have the only offense that have not committed a turnover all season. James Franklin said the reason the Nittany Lions have been able to take care of the ball so well is attention to detail and coaching. What happens a lot of times because it's so exciting is I think people spend a lot of time on the turnovers, but just as exciting to me is, is the lack of turnovers and how we're respecting the football and essentially the program by doing that. So we got to continue to not get bored with that, with those fundamentals and that period that we do every single day. I think rather than just brushing over the times where we got away with a poor decision or we got away with a lack of ball security, that's where I think you, you have problems if after wins you don't address the problems. So just because we didn't turn it over doesn't mean there wasn't some coaching and teaching that needs to come from it. So that, that's how we've been addressing it. and. Um, so far so good but we need to keep it up we need to keep it up drew aller has been taking care of the ball extremely well but coach franklin is looking for more explosive plays from this offense to me uh, i'm always looking for balance we're always looking for balance and right now i think we have shown the ability to run to win and we've shown the ability to pass to win i think we need to be able to show that we can grind it out to win which we have but I also think we need to show that we can be explosive to win as well. We've done that at times, but probably not as much as we've grinded it out. But I would also say that also plays a little bit to how people were playing us. So I think some of it is how people are defending us in terms of trying to stop our two running backs by overloading the box but then also playing soft either like Illinois with a safety at 25 yards deep in the middle of the field in their way of stopping the explosive play or um, with soft corners. So for me, back to the initial statement I said about balance, we gotta be able to show that we can grind it out or be explosive, um, run the ball to win, pass the ball to win, and we need to continue to grow and, and um, develop in the explosive play area. I will tell you this, part of it is kind of sometimes just the style of how you have to play to win the game and to control the game. <laughs> no, I think, I think look, uh, certainly explosive plays, right? I mean, let, let's continue with this confessional theme of the season, right? It's yep. there, there, there has got to be something to atone for. And this week, so far through four weeks, it is Penn State's lack of explosiveness offensively and, and his addressing of that, right? So it, he was asked in a variety of ways what the hangup is, right? Uh, you know, how he is perceiving it and Look, I think that his response it was both measured and acknowledging that there there's something to it. Is it is it the biggest deal in the world? No, I, I don't think that he's putting it that way. He's he's acknowledging. Look, defenses the way that they've played Penn State are very much determined to make sure that Nick Singleton and Katron Allen don't beat them by backbreaking. Uh, play right that that is that is the entire focus uh, and then on top of that they are also 
doing something akin to prevent in the on the back end of the of the yeah. defense, right? Yeah. They are they are refusing to allow uh, getting beat way deep through the passing game. So between those two things, Penn State has had limited opportunities, but. They've had opportunities yes. that Penn State really has not been able to maximize, whether that is, uh, you know, beating a man on the outside, which is, is something that he said they need to get better at uh, for, for somebody like a Keandre Lambert-Smith, Dante Cephas, whatever, Malik McClain. Like, you have to be able to take a five-yard gain and turn it into 60 sometimes. That's, that's yep. what's expected of the running backs. And additionally, the running backs who are tasked with beating more than one guy, haven't been able to do that so far this year, right? I mean, you're, you're looking at last week, and Nick Singleton's long run was 19 yards. So so this, these are, are they problems? Uh, not necessarily, but they're, they're areas that need to be addressed and, and improved upon. It's, it's always interesting because coaches come into this conversation with here are the areas that we're telling our players they need to get better even in a win so that everyone picks up on that and then they ask questions about that and I agree. It turns into, hey, you're 4-0. You've scored 30 points every single game. Why aren't you scoring more? And by the way, if you want to have a further conversation about all these things, BlueWaitIllustrated.com, we broke down all of this in T. Frank's film room on the defensive and offensive side of the ball in terms of what teams are doing in, uh, in coverage against Penn State and also just generally, Nate, this is an interesting thing um, one of the questions that I, I have coming into this is why so much soft coverage across the country this is not just something where you look at um, Penn State you look at the opponents that Penn State is playing and I watch a lot of the film of those guys and the teams that they're facing coming up they're also facing these soft coverages so this is kind of a defensive trend throughout uh, college football at the moment and Penn State is a part of that said trend so it's just an interesting kind of nuance of this particular team which is so talented and has so much explosion and then the last thing now back to the Penn State football tailgate show driven by Blaze Alexander family dealership it's a long and bumpy road to the Big Ten Championship. Let's see how other teams are faring today. Here's Around the Big Ten. Sponsored by Joseph C. Hazel. Plumbing and heating, sprinklers, and backflows. They're your one stop for quality, affordable sprinkler systems. HVAC, plumbing, and backflow services. Call 814-355-4841 for a free estimate today. VA number 012698. It is 10.08 a.m., so there are no Big Ten scores as of yet. <laughs> <laughs> but we can preview the day. Penn State Northwestern kicks things off with Minnesota and Louisville at noon. Um, I, I don't know which is the most interesting of the schedule today. I would imagine number two Michigan at Nebraska. Uh, Aeneas, do you have any thoughts on Michigan-Nebraska? Is this going to be a, a test for Michigan who likes to grind you know, we talk about grinding out wins. That is the only way that Michigan likes to do things. So can they grind it out against Nebraska today? What, what are some of your just high-level thoughts about that game? Yeah, I, I think Michigan finds a way to win the game, obviously. But I think that first half, even maybe those first three quarters, could be more challenging than what Michigan may be expecting. Nebraska's going to get up for that game, man. Anytime you got an opportunity uh, at the Michigan Wolverines, especially the way they're esteemed now nationally, it's a great opportunity. So I see them being competitive uh, for a bigger stretch of the game than maybe people are anticipating. So this week, Ohio State-Wisconsin on their buys. Also playing today, uh, Indiana at Maryland, Illinois at Purdue. And the Titanic matchup of Wagner at Rutgers. Rutgers has been feisty so far this year. Greg Schiano got them playing uh, great defense 
a great defense still. The the Gavin Wimsat, the quarterback, still a bit of a work in progress as it has been for 15 years at Rutgers, and then Michigan uh, State at Iowa today. That is the NBC primetime game on Peacock. So this is some light lifting from the Big Ten today, Aeneas. <laughs> yeah, not a not the most competitive schedule they've ever put out. Uh, so the availability report for Penn State football is out. Want to get to that to you as well. Once again, Malik Mega out. Jameel Lyons out in this game. And Smith Vilbert obviously uh, still out for the season with his uh, season-ending injury that James Franklin detailed before the season. Jameel Lyons is the new name that's popped up here. And uh, Trey Wallace questionable going into this game, although we can say that we saw him practicing uh, in a more complete sense earlier this week. But that has not dictated one way or another whether he's played so far. So that's just one of the little breadcrumbs on the way to whether or not he's an impact in this game and Penn State can get that explosive passing attack off the ground, which I think he's been a, a major part of um, maybe a missing piece. And I want to ask you, I want to start there in our conversation about Penn State's offensive identity. And we've talked about all week long, explosive, grind it out. It's always, I'll get to my comment in a second. I want to get this because I'm super interested in hearing what you have to say. Is it easier to learn how to grind out victories, or is it easier to learn how to win with big plays, explosive plays, turnovers, you know, kind of the the sexy way that Penn State wants to play? Which one of those two is easier to learn for a football team during a season? Yeah, and I think it's a it's a great question. The biggest thing to me is that most teams, when they lack either explosive play or inability to grind it out, is that they're lacking horses somewhere. Uh, you know, I've played on Penn State football teams where we could not run the football. Uh, and I'm sure you can remember some of those teams that we wanted to be a team that could go grind it out yeah. uh, and win the football game. But at the end of the day, it wasn't a matter of, hey, we got to learn how to be tougher up front. We got to learn how to run the ball consistently. You either have the horses up front or you don't. Uh, I think for Penn State, the easier thing to learn this year is to to be explosive. Uh they may not have a Jahan Dotson, a KJ Hamler, a wide receiver that they're so accustomed to having uh, over the last few years, but you still have two NFL tight ends. Keandre Lambert-Smith has already shown an ability to be explosive. Uh, getting Trey Wallace back, hopefully this week, um, is going to be another element that adds to that. So I think they have the horses to be explosive. Therefore, it becomes something that you can learn and adjust to during the season. I think that's a great point. It's something I was mulling over this week is, this is something new for Penn State football under James Franklin to not not necessarily even when when they had Saquon Barkley it was explosive runs it was big time runs but you have a lot of negative two yards negative four yards being bad in short yardage situations it feels like if you've learned to grind out victories the explosive plays with the guys that you just mentioned will come so does this team can they be complete can this be a complete offense that is paired with a complete defense is this we kind of setting up for do you think this is a national championship team do they have that level of caliber of play in them i certainly think they have that level in them i don't think they're there yet um i think they can get there it starts with the run game uh, getting more consistent there and then on the defensive side of the ball the missing piece ironically is hey can we be as physical as we need to be without stunting without running these pressures uh which they'll need to be able to do later on in the year so both of those areas are things that they can consistently work and grow uh towards making better parts of their team but those really are the only two things i look at and question uh whether or not Penn State has the horses to go win a Big Ten championship and make a playoff 
um, really those are the only things missing when I turn on the film so far. So the, I think that sets up what we talked about earlier uh, in the show is that this could be the week we could see those explosive plays. So from a pass game perspective, one thing I wanted to get into is you know, we, we talk about these quarters coverages and these quarters defenses that Penn State has seen so far where West Virginia played a little bit of this coverage. Uh, Iowa certainly played this coverage and even Delaware played coverage, uh, you know, in a similar situation where they had the ability to drop guys in the box from deep and, and kind of play with a soft coverage shell, but still try to take away the run. Is it, who is this a bigger day for uh, from the passing perspective, knowing we've got a little bit of cover four, a little bit of cover three, a little bit of cover one, and even some cover two from Northwestern. So is it uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith or Theo Johnson uh, in the passing game do you think has the better opportunity for explosive plays today? Yeah, just from what I've seen from Northwestern safeties, I, I really like Theo Johnson today. Uh, he's okay. due to, to be explosive and do some good things. Anytime you got to cover four, like you said, you can kind of drop a safety, add him to a box, or even be creative about which one of those four you want to really focus uh, on either Dre or either Theo or a tight end. Um, so it'll be a little bit of, about what Northwestern chooses to defend against. Um, but I really think that Theo Johnson matches up well with their safeties. And I say you throw him the football and let him try to get going a little bit as the season's already almost reached the halfway point. So this is a question uh, we, we talk all year, and I'm going to bring it up again because this is, the, this is the question each week. And so far it has been decidedly Penn State's going to play with two tight ends. Uh, from from your perspective on the defense, is it easier to defend runs with 12 personnel, two tight ends on the field, both, you know, bigger formation, uh, seven men on the line of scrimmage? Or is it harder? Is it harder to defend an offense that spreads the ball out and has three receivers outside and you have less players in the box? Which one is which one is easier or or gives the defense a better opportunity to gum up the run game? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think 12 personnel, in my opinion, is the harder to stop, mm. uh, especially when we talk about run game. Uh, if you have tight ends that can actually block, let me let me throw that asterisk on there. Got it. Uh, Penn State has that in Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren, but most teams don't. But if you can bring two extra guys in who could essentially act as – pulling guards and tackles on plays and guys who are able uh, to make some reach blocks and some cutoffs and add gaps that a defense has to defend in the run game. Realistically, that is what's going to make it the toughest to stop it. So we might see some of that from Penn State today uh, and some of those safeties dropping down in the box and maybe a good run lane for Catron Allen and for Nick Singleton. So look for that today. That's something that we're going to be checking out during uh, the game. And of course, we'll talk about it on the post game show coming up next. We have our predictions for this game. I'm just going to go out and spoil the surprise. We're all picking Penn state, but by how much I know, I know producer Kyle it is a surprise. We'll come back and tell you that on uh, the blaze Alexander family dealerships, Penn state tailgate show. Let's get to it. Three and three days coming out of the whiteout. Uh, we told you last week the whiteout does not always be fruitful in terms of providing commitments. So this one's a little bit different. Of course, uh, DJ McClary on Sunday, Tyke Hayes on Monday, and on Tuesday morning, Brady O'Hara, ca- uh, North Catholic from the Pittsburgh area, uh, Cranberry Township, tight end athlete. We're, we're calling him an athlete. Um, he's a big kid. He can move. Uh, six six. 240, um, plays tight end at the high school level, plays defensive end at the high school level, uh, four-star prospect by the on-three industry rankings, number 305 overall, number 16 tight end, number eight in Pennsylvania. We have him at on-three 
as a three-star tight end, number 26 nationally, number 12 in Pennsylvania. So this is a guy Penn State uh, has targeted for a long time, a guy that really seemed like he, that he would end up at Penn State pretty much since that offer came through. So he was back on campus this weekend, wanted to take his time, but sometimes it's just too much. And for a guy yeah. like that, that you, you look back and say, yeah, he pretty much was always coming here. Now he's across the line. Yeah, and it's one of those if you're if you're making your declaration Tuesday morning on a you know on the 26th of September with no fanfare, you're pretty much like that's a locked in commitment for the Nittany Lions. So the the recruiting journey, as you just mentioned here, uh, pretty straightforward for Brady O'Hara. Um, the Pittsburgh once again, Penn State going strong into the western part of Pennsylvania in this class. Any any insights into just luck of the draw in terms of? talent in the area or is there a strategy of being strong in pittsburgh and philly and you know renewing efforts in those areas I, th I think it's more just the western pennsylvania poll for penn state penn state looks really good right now Pitt does not look like that it, it is on that level right now so there's a big difference in terms of perspective from from these players um in 2024 2025 2026 i think quentin martin coming to penn state opened some eyes anthony speck out there uh, p gonzalez of course in the 2024 class as well um and then you keep rolling and there's a lot of guys you know just from talking to people there's a lot of guys in western pennsylvania with scholarship offers from penn state that are really contemplating uh joining penn state so, so i think that there's a lot of momentum there terry smith is always going to be good there but the way that penn state's playing right now versus you know the the other options that they have down there west virginia of course um is is rallying and doing a nice job of of things after the, the loss to penn state to open the season but still i think there's a clear difference when you're looking at that pedestal of where penn state is versus where some of the other area programs are what do you think of Brady O'Hare? I know you said jumbo athlete, six foot six. What are some of the things we need to know about him as the football player? Yeah, he can move. He plays uh, kind of all over the place, hand in the dirt sometimes for North Catholic, uh, but it, mostly in the slot, like as a receiver. But he is like legit 6'6", 240. Um, he can run. He's got some long touchdowns this year for North Catholic. Uh, they just played Aliquippa, I think, two weeks ago. Um, so you're looking at that level of competition, kind of the same as uh, Tyke Hayes. Um, but he can he can get around. He can move. I like I like his defensive stuff. Um, yeah. Not so much that he projects as a defensive lineman at the next level, but I think he moves a little bit more naturally on the defensive side of the ball. You better lock it up. No, you lock it up. Here are today's predictions sponsored by Metzler Forest Products Landscape Center in Reedsville for all your landscaping and firewood needs. Get your project started by going online at MetzlerForestProducts.com. I've been waiting for this moment all day since I got up at 5.15. I wanted to give you my exact score prediction. It is going to play out exactly this way. So I'll, I'll go I'll go second. Aeneas getting right to it out of the, okay. out of the top of the show, uh, the top of this segment. What do you think from Penn State today? What is, this, what is the margin of victory you've got? Yeah, I, I really would love to sit here and say that Penn State shuts out Northwestern's offense because they're certainly capable of it. Realistically, you just played in a whiteout game. You come off the emotional roller coaster of that, then you're playing in front of a, a high school crowd, essentially. Um, you know, I, I think Northwestern finds a way to score. Penn State still wins dominantly. I got them 49-10 over the Wildcats. Uh, maybe one touchdown somewhere mixed in, some type of mishap that puts Northwestern's offense in scoring position. And I'll give them credit for a field goal, too. Yeah, so I, I uh, my score predictions are always... 
they're not anything. They're, they're not just for their entertainment purposes only. They are for how I feel about the game going in. So I'm predicting explosive plays today. I, I'm going to be on the optimistic side of Penn State gets it done, and you're going to see what you want from this team throughout the game. So I think I, earlier this week, it, it's all academic. It's like 51 or 52 to 10. Um, so that's it's just optimistic that they can score those big plays this game, and uh, they'll maybe some reserve time where they get to. I I think my the point I want trying to make about Northwestern here is I think they can score more points than ten, but um, you know we're being optimistic and we're we're saying that the Penn State defense is going to play its starters the whole game. It might be seventeen. You know, I, I think they might get into the teens today, but that is the that is the gulf between these two teams, and that should be how Penn State's able to get a lot of big plays. Who is your breakout player of this game, or you know, your your MVP heading in that you are saying I see this guy having a big game based on what I've seen so far? Yeah, I'd pound my fist on the table, but I don't want to do any damage. <laughs> uh, Everything is delicate. Don't that. touch it. <laughs> not going to do that here. They've been kind enough to let me use Rip Warren uh, Studios out here in Westchester. Let's not break the table today. Um, but no, Nick Singleton is due for one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's hungry for one. He's he's a competitive kid as it is. That offensive line hears the noise. They know they can be explosive and they're ready to go do it against a defense that on paper they should be able to execute on at a high level against. You know, you took mine and I, I don't like to uh, copy people. I, I think originality is important. So I'm going to go with Keandre Lambert-Smith, even though Nick Singleton, I think, is the right answer. Um, the way that this offense has operated against these cover four shells, they they almost use the tight ends as a decoy because Theo Johnson is such a presence. And at some point, he's going to need to make some plays because teams will stop you, treating him that way, I think. You know, it would be the thing I would imagine going forward. But the way that they drop safeties down and they can manipulate the coverage to get the receivers big plays, I think is also part of the conversation that Drew Aller's a different dude than Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford liked to attack the seams. He liked to throw to the tight ends over the middle. Um, I'm not saying that Drew Aller hasn't attacked the middle of the defense. I'm saying that he seems to like those out routes, things outside the numbers because there are less bodies for him to throw around. Um, I think this is a game where Keandre Lambert-Smith, he can uh, get open deep and there can be some explosive plays. So I'm going to go Keandre Lambert-Smith. They're going to do some um, some nifty play calling to get him five catches, 135 yards, and a touchdown maybe in this game. Uh, what are you looking for improvement? So we, we calibrated everything. We talked about this uh, team from top to bottom throughout the show. Uh, where are you looking specifically for things you want to see today from this team coming out of this? This is Penn State improving against Northwestern. What's on your checklist? Yeah, one thing that I really think is going, you know, unsaid right now, but I think is important is the the depth at the middle linebacker spot. So yeah. start the year off, Tyler Elsden, who was able to do some good things last year, really struggled. Uh, uh, he made some plays that are uncharacteristic. Everybody remembers the touchdown against Delaware. And the reason I bring that up is because last week I felt like he did some things that showed and proved that he is continuing to improve week by week to get back to a competitive level of play. And even if he's not the starter, if it's Kobe King for the rest of the year, it's important that you have two guys that you can throw in there and trust to operate the defense uh, with a level of respect and commitment that they need to be able to do it with. Uh, so that is one thing I want to continue to watch for today is Tyler Elson's continue continued development rather uh, because I think he has it in him and he's shown it before. 
with Elsden specifically, I think it's been an interesting, undiscussed conversation about the player he is this year versus last year. Um, he was not a part of spring practice, recovering from some injury. Um, how hard is it to, if you can't build up your body in the offseason, to try and then do it either during the summer and get ready for a football season or try and play through a football season where you are not peak Aeneas Hawkins. You are not peak Tyler Elsden. How how difficult is that and how long does it take to kind of get back into the flow of now I'm playing football and I'm adjusting to what I am this year as opposed to maybe what I have been in the past? Yeah, well, it's different on an injury-to-injury basis, obviously, but once you pass a a certain threshold uh, of seriousness with an injury, when you're missing any type of significant time uh, and you're beyond the the high school level, realistically, you're not going to come back and be the same. There are going to be holes in your game. There's Mm going to be confidence issues as you get healthy uh, and you're able to play. Those reps in spring and training camp are really invaluable in that sense. Uh, Whether or not you're even playing really well in spring ball, to me is less important than the fact that you're playing spring ball. Uh, You don't want to, I mean, 15 practices at this level is a lot of reps that you're missing out on, right? Um, I think what you see from Elson and what I saw last week was a new level of confidence. He's starting to feel comfortable again with whatever the injury was. He's playing faster. Uh, he's at his best, in my opinion, when he's coming downhill and he's he's playing physical and he's playing fast. So anytime a guy like that gets hurt specifically, you're going to see the most impact and drop off in their game uh, because they can't play the way that they're used to playing. Last question today, and this is always, I I apologize to any Northwestern fans that are listening. Um, We are not predicting a great day for Northwestern, so I'm going to end with another question here that is maybe a little bit disrespectful. More sacks or interceptions today from the Penn State defense? That's a great question. I'm going to go sacks. I'm going to okay. go sacks. Those are my guys. I know Adisa Isaac is hungry. I know Chop Robinson is going to show up. Uh, so I'm rolling with my wild dogs, man. Yeah, one thing we didn't get to today, I talked about this on, on the Friday show, so if you want to go watch that quickly before uh, we get to Penn State football later today at noon, uh, their running backs are really bad in pass protection. So up the A-gap, Aeneas, I can see you're absolutely right about that with uh, more sacks than interceptions. They could get a lot of sacks today. I think they also could get a lot of interceptions as well because Ben Bryant, uh, when you put him under pressure his completion percentage is 39 percent yikes all right uh we got like 45 seconds final thoughts from you Aeneas. Final thoughts, I I think Penn State has to find a way to go out there with no crowd, uh, with no external motivation, and play high-level football and win dominantly. That's what elite teams are able to go do. Uh, And for Penn State to take that next step and to go play in a college football playoff, they got to be consistent and do it today. I want to thank producer Kyle, Dusty, our engineer, everybody over at the Westchester Studios working through a lot of different things today with our audio and video setups. I think it's been an excellent show. We've got a lot of great information on Penn State football. Enjoy the show today and come back later for the post-game show. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. He's Aeneas Hawkins. We'll talk to you later.